0: Once you grab your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 1. We've been making our way through the book of Colossians. I want you to think about what is the most important question you've ever asked. Just think about it for a second. What is the most important question that you have ever asked? Mine came about 14, no, 13 years ago. Amanda and I have been dating for about eight months and it didn't take me very long to figure out that she was who I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. It made it easy because she clearly outlasted anyone who came before her, you know, anyone who could put up with me for eight months. That's the one. That's just the answer. That's the one. And and, uh, and so we knew we wanted to get married. We even knew when we wanted to get married. We had thought about when we finished school and jobs. We had thought about all those things. But we had talked about rings. You know, And I had started researching rings because I'd already gotten her father's permission to ask her to marry me. And so I got a little instruction from her, and then I went to learn about what makes a great diamond. I'd go to the jewelry stores. I learned the C's. If any of you are in this stage right now, young men, come and talk to me. I can talk to you about cut. I can talk to you about clarity. I can talk to you about color. And I did all the research. I'd go to these jewelry stores, and I'd say, "Tell tell me, what what do I need to know? Tell me everything." I'd ask all the questions. I wouldn't tell them until the end. That, like, oh, I'm I'm not, I'm not buying anything today. And I went to every jewelry store in the mall in my hometown, learning about what it took. And then it came time, and uh, I went to the store, and I bought. The ring, and then I had it. I was planning, uh, you know, I, it was going to be months before I actually asked her to marry me because we had kind of had a timeline, you know. But that ring was burning a hole in two things. First, it burnt a hole in my bank account. The second thing that it burnt a hole in was my pocket. I just couldn't wait. I, I kept it in a closet, kind of hidden away. I, I couldn't wait to actually give it to her. So I drove down from Missouri one weekend. She didn't know it was coming. She didn't know that we were in the realm because I was not going to brave talking to her father without her, you know, going and prepare the way for me like any real man would do. You know, send the lady in to do the hard work to be the trailblazer. I did it. It was smart. I'm a genius. So she didn't know that it was coming. Uh, we were driving to her house, and I said, well, let's go to this park. This park had some history for us. It was special. And in that season of our life, it was not unusual for me to say, let's go to the park. If I said that to her tomorrow, she'd be like, what's the matter with you? You know. But in that season, going to the park to hang out was something cool that we did. And so we went, and we were sitting on this park bench, and I had this shoebox. And inside the shoebox was... Almost every letter, note, receipt, it was like the history of our relationship. And I said something like, I know that you don't think I am emotional or romantic, but look what I have kept, you know. And so she's digging through it, and I had already looked through it. I kind of ordered everything kind of in the exact way that I wanted to. And, and so I'd tell a little story here. I'm just setting the ambiance. She gets down to the bottom of the box, and there's the ring right there. And so I get down on my knee there in the park, ask her if she'll be my wife forever and ever. I, v- I very clearly chose my words because I wasn't just, this wasn't just a till death do you part thing. This was a forever and ever and ever and ever. That's how much I love her. Uh, I'm going to haunt her back from the grave, you know, like that's just the way, the way it's going to go. And I was very clear uh, from, about that. This is a, a forever commitment. But that was the most important question I think that I've ever asked in my lifetime. Will you marry me? Will you be my wife forever and ever and ever? And you have a, a question as well. It may be, what career am I going to have? Where am I going to go to school? Is this person I'm dating, is, is he the one? Is she the one? Um, the Apostle Paul is going to push forward a question today in the scripture. He's not going to call it a question. He's going to call it a mystery. But it is a question. And thankfully, Paul is not one of those people that can be annoying on our culture, and all they ever want to do is just ask questions. Paul's going to ask a question. He's going to talk about a mystery, but he's also going to give us the answer to that mystery. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Remember the apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Colossae. Paul did not start this church himself. He was more like the grandfather of this church. And He's heard some things about what's going on in their church. Some good, some bad. And and he's writing them this letter in response to those things. Verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. He's suffering because he's actually in prison as he's writing them this letter. For your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Now what does it mean to fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? It's talking about the cross and the suffering of Jesus. How are Jesus' sufferings lacking? Well, what Paul is saying is Jesus suffered and Paul is like the bridge between Jesus' suffering and the church. That by Paul willingly risking his own life, being in prison, he is preaching the sufferings of Jesus to the church in a way that the church is able to understand, see, and believe. Not in Paul, but in Jesus of which, verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To him, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. will not you say that with me, church? Christ in you. The hope of glory. So he talks about this mystery. It's a question. And the question goes back all the way back to the very, very beginning of the scripture of the story of God, or at least the story of God that we have a revelation. Because you remember what happens God creates Adam and Eve in perfect fellowship with Him. In the Garden of Eden, everything is perfect. God creates them, has an amazing relationship with them, perfect union and fellowship. Adam and Eve choose sin, they choose to eat the fruit which God said to not eat. Sin enters the world, that fellowship is broken. So the question from that moment on is how will God restore this fellowship? Because just because the relationship was broken and fractured in that way, God's love was not broken or fractured. God's love has been consistent from day one to this day and on into the future. How will God restore and save humanity back to what Adam and Eve knew in the Garden of Eden? That is the mystery that has been around for the ages. And in the Old Testament, they didn't know that. In the time of Jesus, it wasn't exactly clear. But in the season that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, Paul can say, we know the mystery. How is God going to save humanity back into this kind of relationship with him we know the question but we also know the answer and the answer is christ in you the hope of glory see from the moment that that fellowship and union was broken with god god was on a mission to come near to people this is the story of the old testament because what happens after adam and eve are pushed out of the garden of eden but god starts giving his presence to individuals He starts building relationship with people like Noah, people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God comes near to individuals. But in the Exodus, we see a shift. It's not just individuals anymore. It's to a whole nation, to a whole people, the people of Israel. God rescues them out of slavery, but he lives among them. The story of the old testament we see the israelites they actually had the presence of god so when they went to church just like we went to church they went into the presence of god we are in the presence of god here but the difference is is they could see the presence of god with their own eyes they could see the smoke they could see the, the fire they could see the cloud when they went to worship they had the very real presence of god among them but it wasn't enough for them Just like when God does a miracle in your life, it's easy to forget about that miracle or that miracle becomes less and less astounding over time. God's presence just became something they were used to and they began to be tempted by all the the idols of the neighboring nations. So even though they could see God's presence, experience it with their five senses, they worshiped these idols and God would send prophet after prophet after prophet to come and remind them. Hey, you have a unique privilege. You are the people of God and you have the presence of God among you. Don't ruin it with this idol worship, but they didn't listen. And so in judgment, God removes his presence from them. So they kept up their religious activity, but it wasn't the same. They couldn't see his presence anymore. And that question reemerges. Are we back at the beginning? Back at the fall? How is God going to restore humanity? Was this a setback? Did This push us back? But what we see is the New Testament comes around. We see the son of God being born out of that people that God came near to. In Israel, Jesus was born. God in the flesh. So it wasn't just that God had given them his presence. He comes near. He actually gives gives them his son. He lives among them in a real way. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, then you've seen the father. But we know Jesus' story. He's crucified to atone for our sin so that forgiveness of sin can come to us. But good news, he's resurrected, restored back to the people that he lived among. But then Jesus ascends. He disappears. The disciples are concerned about this. They're worried about it. They don't understand why Jesus would leave them. Because it seems like God has been on a mission to get nearer and nearer and nearer people. And finally, that has come to pass with Jesus, God in flesh, actually being among them. But now he's going back up to heaven. But Jesus says, it's okay, it's good news that I'm leaving. Because I'm sending you my Spirit. And how is the Holy Spirit referred to in the Scripture? But as the Spirit of Christ. And the Spirit of Christ comes to live in the lives of all those who believe in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the story of God. Fellowship being broken from the beginning. And Him coming nearer and nearer and nearer. All the way into our hearts. And into our lives. Christ in you. Then the second phrase. Verse 27. The hope of glory. Now what kind of glory is it referring to here? Well it tells us the answer in verse 26. The mystery hidden for ages and generations. But now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known. How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery. So the glory he's referring to is the mystery. The question of how is God going to save humanity? Now that word save, that's a a church word. You hear that a lot. You know, somebody saying, I've been saved. When were you saved? We talk about salvation a lot. But that word salvation, it's so much bigger. So much more all-encompassing, I think, than even we imagine. In fact, I want to show you that in the scripture. That salvation that comes from God is past, present, and. And future. So I'm going to ask you to turn to three places. So hopefully you can count to three. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and 1 Peter chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2, our salvation is past. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, our salvation is present. And 1 Peter chapter 1, our salvation is future. We see the foundation of this laid in the Old Testament. You know, we're always talking about, it seems like every week I'm talking about the Exodus. God delivering the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And I apologize for that, but if you don't understand that story, then we really don't understand who we are and what our relationship with God is like. Because most of our story springs from that foundation. The People of Israel are enslaved in Egypt. God miraculously, through his prophet Moses, rescues them out of slavery. They were delivered. That was a thing in their past. But he delivers them into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, for 40 years, he's providing for them and living with them daily. Providing food for them through manna and quail. Giving them water from rocks. Protecting them. Shielding them. That's present. And where is he taking them? He's taking them to their future. To the promised land. So if we see that story in the Old Testament, it makes sense that we would see that story in the New Testament as well. And that's where we are in Ephesians chapter 2. These may be familiar words to you. Verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now I grew up in Missouri, so we don't have good grammar there. But I'm pretty sure that that's past tense. You have been saved. That's, your salvation is in the past. There was a moment in your life, hopefully, when you realized... Not only was this something that was true, but it was something that was true that you were taking on. You know, it's one thing to believe in Jesus, that Jesus existed, that maybe Jesus even died on the cross, maybe even that Jesus resurrected. It's another thing to say, I willingly take that truth on as myself. Another way to say that is you're making Jesus Lord. Like, my salvation is in the past. I grew up in church. I've told you that many times. I was around church things. One summer, my parents send me off to Christian camp. You want to know what Christian camp is? It's like camp without all the fun. Yeah. Every night, we had to go to church. Doesn't that sound super appealing? Right. We go to this metal building in the middle of Missouri. They call it the tabernacle. Tabernacle is religious language for we're not going to spend very much money. Right. We go into the tabernacle metal building, literally a garage door let you into the house of God. And, And my group, about eight or nine boys... Uh, young men, we sat on the very back row. I don't know why we sat back there. I didn't choose it. I think my, my my leader, he was not very godly and he wanted to be as far away from the action as possible. And so we sat on the back row. I've been in this situation a thousand times in my life. Church was not new to me. I mean, we went all the time. Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday. I was always around church. It's not a new experience for me. But this one particular night, I'm in the very back row, metal folding chair, man who's going to get up and preach the message. I've heard a thousand messages. We didn't have kids church back in the day to do fun stuff to learn about God. I had to do the boring stuff here with all the adults, you know? So, so I've been, I've heard the message. The guy comes up, I don't remember anything about him except for that um, he had a thick red mustache and when he opened up his Bible, something happened to me. Again, I've been in church all of my life, a thousand times, but when this man opened up his Bible, something began to happen to me on the inside and it was like something that I knew very, very well I was hearing for the first time. Something I'd even believed in. But that night, I was saying, I don't just believe this is true. I'm taking it on. I felt just a tremendous amount of conviction because I knew that even though I was around Christ, I was not in Christ and he was not in me. And I was terrified. I was terrified that I was living in that moment without the security of Christ in me. Thankfully, my parents dragged me to church over and over again. And so I had this combination of all the stories of Jesus. And I tried to think, what what do people say in the Bible when they want to take on Jesus? And I just said something which I think is just a combination of a a, a lot of different words that people said. I said, Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. I didn't wait for the appropriate moment. I didn't wait for the guy to finish his sermon. The whole time he's talking, I'm on the back row as a young, young man. Mumbling under my breath, Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. And when I think about when salvation started for me, I go back to that moment. Because I know in that moment, I took it on. Because our salvation is in the past. By grace, you have been, past tense, saved. But it's not just in the past. It's in the present. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18, the Apostle Paul writing again, for the word of the cross, meaning the gospel of Jesus, the cross of Jesus is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So that's present tense, being saved. What that means is it means your salvation, which has maybe started at a moment in your past, is just as real now for you as it was in that moment. Meaning God's salvation of me is not any less present today than it was back in that room, in that tabernacle in Missouri. His salvation is still at work in me. I am still being saved. Does that mean I'm still earning salvation? Does that mean it's left in my hands? Absolutely not. Jesus said, he who began a good work in you, or Paul said, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And he right now is being faithful to complete his salvation in you. Your salvation is a present work. Which means you can't just look back to a moment in your past to say it was real in that moment and it stays in that moment. No, it moves on into the present. His salvation is at work in you. And then we also see in the future, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That's what happened to you in that past moment. Just like the Israelites were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, you were delivered from sin and death. You were born again in the past to a living hope. That's something that's present through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what it talks about is that your salvation is not finished. Your salvation is going to be revealed in a time to come, in the last time. Your salvation is in the past. Your salvation is here in the present. But your salvation is not done. It's still going to be delivered to you. And the reason that we're bringing all this up, salvation is past, present, and future, is because I think some of us lack an understanding of our salvation. And because we lack an understanding, we lack an appreciation for our salvation. If it's just something that happened to you a a long, long time ago or a month ago or a week ago. Well, a lot of things have happened to you a long time ago, a month ago, a week ago. And it just gets blended in with other things that have happened to you. Well, I broke my arm when I was eight and you know I failed a test when I was 16. I was saved when I was 17. I went to college when I was 18. It just kind of gets blended in with the rest of our past. But our salvation is bigger than that. See, your salvation should not just become another thing that you say when you describe yourself. It shouldn't just get lumped in with other things that are true about you. But if it's just something that's in the past, for most of us, that was what it will be relegated to. But it's not. In fact, the way that we should probably describe ourselves is: My name is Curtis. I'm a dad. Who has been saved, who is being saved, and who will be saved. Yeah, I'm a mom who has been saved, is being saved, and will be saved. What do you do for a living? Oh yeah, I'm a teacher who has been saved, who is being saved, and who will be saved. See, it's more than just another thing that's true about you. This salvation is so great, it should overwhelm everything else that is true about you. But if you don't understand how big it is, how massive it is, how past, present, and future it is, without a greater understanding, we will lack a greater appreciation. And listen, Christ in you, the hope of glory, is the best news about you that you've heard all week. So there are two applications. Two things that we can do, two things that we can think in light of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you're going to write something down, this would be a good thing to write down. Number one, because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, your weakness does not weaken your relationship with God. Because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, your weakness does not weaken your relationship with God. I remember the first time that I went and saw a counselor, something um, semi-tragic had happened to us, not the end of the world, maybe just a tiny little scar, Um, but uh, I'm a typical man. And so, men, what we often do, as someone told me recently, is we bad things happen to us. We put it in a box and we fold up the box and then we shove it to the side and then we move on. Ladies, amen? Amen. Well, apparently this is not healthy. And um, so uh, uh, Amanda is telling me like, Something's wrong with you. You're not acting the same. What's going on? I think you need and, to go and see a Christian counselor. And I'm like, all right, I'll go. And, uh, and so I show up, make the appointment, and it's like total stereotype. Like I sit down on the couch and I start to lay down. He's like, no, 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 we don't do that here. <laughs> I don't know. Just seeing it on TV, you know. So he says, why, tell me your story. Why Why are you here? And I thought about it for just a second and I said, I don't know. My wife told me I need to come. So here's what I learned at Christian counseling. There are people who know they have issues, and then there are people whose wives know they have issues. But we all have issues. Let's just admit it out loud. On three, you say, I have issues. One, two, three. Yeah, doesn't that feel good to just admit it? And if you're here and you're thinking, no, no, I don't have any issues, then your issue is pride. So welcome. Welcome to the club. We all have issues. We have issues of vanity. We have weaknesses of insecurity. We have issues with fear, ego, pride, rage, malice, hate. Uh, Some of us have weakness with our mouth. We can't control what it says, when it says, who it says it about. Some of us, some, for some reason, we were just born naturally divisive. Some of us have a weakness where we like to hear other people's weaknesses. We have issues. And here's the reality. Your issues, your weaknesses, weaken every one of your relationships. Relationships. Your weaknesses, your insecurity, your fear puts a strain on your friendships. Your pride, men, puts a strain on your marriage. Your ego and vanity puts a strain on your relationships at work. The reality is and the truth is is that you are a liability to every relationship that you have except one. Just one. Your relationship with God. How great is this salvation that in your most important relationship you are not the liability There's nothing that you can do to get him any closer to you. You can't suppress your weaknesses enough. You can't blend them in. You can't prop them up as strengths enough to get him any closer than he is in your weakest moment. Because of Christ in you. Not Christ with you. Not Christ around you. But Christ in you what your heart needs to know the most is where do I stand with God? And where you stand is you don't stand with God. He stands up in you. Great, great salvation where our weaknesses don't weaken that relationship. And the second application today second thing we need to be thinking, and the last thing, is because of Christ in you, the hope of glory, you have clarity for your life purpose. You have clarity for your life purpose. We are all helped, and we are all benefited when we know this is what God wants from me right now. Isn't that a question that you'd have, like to have answered? What does God want from me? God want me to do this? God want me to do that? I'm not sure. Which choice should I make? Well, one thing you can bank on is you have clarity for your life purpose because of Christ in you, Christ should be coming out of you. You have an inner inner reality of Christ in you. It needs to be an outward reality of Christ in you. Romans chapter eight, verse 29 says that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. It means that God's present work of salvation in you right now is, is shaping your life around what's already inside of you, Christ in you. But your flesh, your mind, your heart, your fears, your weaknesses are all being shaped around the image of Jesus, which is already in you. Now, when we talk about being conformed to the image of Jesus, I think we stumble right from the beginning. How many of you remember WWJD? In fact, let's, uh, let's just show of hands. How many of you wore a WWJD bracelet, T-shirt, bumper sticker? Show them proud. Come on, raise them up. We all did. Yeah, if, if you were... You don't know what we're talking about. You must be like 16 because back in the 90s, Jesus was all the rage. And I'm not talking about in the church. I'm talking about in the world. You could look on the television. You could see celebrities with a WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? You could see uh, NBA basketball stars, WWJD bracelet. I mean, it's everywhere, everywhere, everywhere you went. But that eventually faded, didn't it? Right. You know why it faded? You know why we kind of roll our eyes like, oh, I remember that stage. Hopefully none of you got a WWJD tattoo and you're still rocking that. Oh, that's a good question to ask, I guess. There could be worse. You know, like the name of ex-girlfriend, probably not a great tattoo. Yeah, I said it. I said it. (laughs) But you know why I think it faded out? Because, man, let's be honest, that's an incredible question. All of us should routinely be asking ourselves in this moment, what would Jesus do? But you know why it faded out? Because what would Jesus do really translated into no? Would Jesus watch this? No. Would Jesus say this? No. Would Jesus be friends with this person? No. Would Jesus drink this? No. Would Jesus? No. And for most of us, asking ourselves what would jesus do just means no and so we just stopped asking the question but being conformed to the image of christ doesn't mean we're not being conformed around the word no now listen god will say no to you and listen some of us some of you me you need to hear very clearly and this may be your word for the day no no But there's also a yes that we're being conformed to. Like, have you ever asked yourself, how would Jesus pray? How would Jesus pray? Because when I think about that, I'm being conformed around a yes yes to prayer. And not just prayer, but how Jesus would pray. I'm thinking Jesus would dispense with, oh, bless me, bless my mom, bless my dad, bless my wife, bless my kids, bless my job. That's not how Jesus prayed. How would Jesus pray? Be conformed to that. How, how would Jesus love people? And he'd love them exactly where they are. And it'd be an adventure of both giving grace and speaking truth. Be conformed to that. How would Jesus come to church? I'm sure there were some Sundays where Jesus rolled in on Time Change Sunday and was like, man, I'm tired. But how would he shake it off? How would Jesus worship? How would Jesus sing the songs that we're singing? How would Jesus read the scripture? It's beautiful because we have some concrete words of advice from the word of God, but then we also get to use our imaginations. Because if you're just conforming your life around the word, no, you won't be here in three months. You won't be here in three years. And you definitely won't be here in 30 years. Church will just have been a phase that you fondly remember or roll your eyes at, just like wearing a WWJD bracelet, but you're also being conformed, not just around the word no, but around the word yes. Yes, to being like Jesus, this is your life purpose. To be shaped, changed, molded around what is already true about you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because this salvation that we've received, this answer to this mystery, it's great. It's powerful. It's in the past, yes. It's in the present. And it's in the future. And so in the spirit of Christ in you, the hope of glory, we're gonna finish today by sharing the Lord's Supper. So if you wouldn't mind standing to your feet and those who are helping us serve communion will come and take their places. As you come today, you're gonna come and rip off the bread. I'm gonna ask our folks who are serving it here to change it up just a little bit today. Instead of saying our normal, the body of Jesus broken for you and the blood of Jesus shed for you, when they rip off the bread, I want you to say Christ in you, the hope of glory. And when they dip it in the cup again, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the best news you've heard all week. And if you've never heard Christ in you, the hope of glory, this is the best news you'll hear for the rest of your life. And maybe the most important question you've ever asked is, is Christ in me? Is the hope of glory in me? Maybe you believe that Jesus existed. Maybe you even believe that Jesus was crucified and resurrected, but have you taken it on? By coming today and ripping the bread and dipping in the cup, you can use that as an act of taking it on. Not just that you would believe in theory of Jesus, but you believe that he's Lord. The scripture says that when you believe, you are safe. So you don't need to say magic words. Maybe you just want to take on my words. Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. Or maybe you just want to take the elements in a spirit of faith today. But when you believe, the spirit of Christ comes in you. And Christ in you, the hope of glory becomes true. Jesus, make this moment powerful, sacred, and spiritual. Pray that it's more than just symbolic remembering but I pray a spiritual transaction would happen today as we take from your table. Save those who need to be saved. Save us in the past, save us in the present, save us in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. You come and take as you're ready.